the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Freedom with Adam Riojas. His goal is not only to inspire you to receive everything God has for you, but to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. And now, here's your host, Adam Riojas. Woohoo! Welcome to today's show. We have a great guest today. Her name is Jennifer Burns from Turning Point Academy. And then, of course, we want you to stay tuned for the latter part of the show, which is a message today on on Lazarus in the book of John. Um, so with that, thank you so much for being here today, Jennifer. Um, I also have my wife here today since she is a director. Um, but Jennifer, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about what you do um, and introduce yourself to the audience right now. No, excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, as you said, my name is Jennifer Burns, and I'm the Director of Academics at Turning Point USA with Turning Point Academy, and it's a, a position I'm so blessed to have. Um, I'm also a head of school here in Barrington, Illinois. That's where we're based, and um, I have um, been the head of school there for 17 years, and the Lord laid on my heart to start a hybrid classical Christian school, um, just like Kalita has. So I'm so happy to be able to walk alongside her, as well as other people across the country who are looking to start similar programs. So it's exciting to um, play that role as the Director of Academics for Turning Point Academy, our goal is actually fourfold. We are hoping to restore and revive um, virtuous education across the country, and we're doing that in four different ways. One is seeding these types of schools across the country. The other is educating educators. The third is curating and creating curriculum. And the fourth is helping like-minded educators come together so that we can turn the tide of education. Wow. Praise God. Hey, something I know about Illinois is in uh, Chicago, you guys have a new mayor now, huh? <laughs> Praise <laughs> well, the Lord. Actually, there'll be a runoff because, um, because there wasn't a majority. So what we do know right now is that Lori Lightfoot is out. That's for a, sure. Praise the Lord. That's a blessing. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is a blessing. We were Chicago yeah. is going in the wrong direction. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. I'm yeah. so happy to have you here. And uh, my my wife Kalita as well is uh, here as well. And I'm going to have her ask you the first uh, question, Kalita. Oh yes. Um, so I guess my first question. Hi Jennifer. How are you? <laughs> is, well, thank you. <laughs> is um, can you uh, share with us how you got connected um, with Charlie Kirk and, and how did that all come about, that relationship? Um, I know, uh, you, and, and 
And then after that, I'd like to hear a little bit more about if you can discuss more about Classical Consortium and, and your academy there. Excellent. Well, I will, I'll try to make that story as short as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Charlie, for the past 10 years, has influenced um, the conservative movement in a significant way. And what I love about his story is that he was empowering students um, when he started 10 years ago on college campuses to stand up against this woke ideology and, and um, kind of left-leaning um, communication that these students had in, in college and influence that was over them in college. And over the years, that has has expanded into the high school arena, as well as equipping pastors and and church lay leaders um, to stand up against this ideology. And he had, you know, the education system and what has been going on in education has burdened his heart for many years, but he wasn't exactly sure um, what influence he would have in that space. Um, and so it's just been a delight to be able to to um, work with Charlie on truly changing the face of education. Um, and so I've been blessed by that. I was able to get connected with Charlie because of the work I was doing in Illinois here with the Classical Consortium Academy. And so I was blessed to be able to have a model that has been successful and um, kind of gain the attention of, of the folks at Turning Point. So it's been such a delight to be able to, um, and of course, you know, the Lord is, is working in all of this, right? So Amen. <laughs> about um, six months prior to Turning Point reaching out to me, I felt like the Lord was asking me to say yes again. You know, the same prompting that I was given, you know, 18 years ago, to say yes to him and build this kind of crazy school. You know, 18 years ago, classical education was just starting um, back up in the United States. There was a resurgence of classical education then. So it was at its infancy, really. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, 18 years ago, there was no such thing as this hybrid school, you know, going to school one or two days a week and then, um, completing homework the rest of the days of the week under your parents' supervision. There really was only a few of us out there doing such kind of crazy things in education. And Amen. so the Lord was asking me to say yes to that. And um, and so I felt six months ago or six months prior to Charlie reaching out that I felt like the Lord was asking me to say yes again. And I wasn't sure to what. So I just kept praying and praying. And sure enough, um, when this opportunity came, I thought, oh, okay, Lord, now I know what you're asking me to say yes to. <laughs> Amen. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I have a question for you. So sure. h- how did we get here where our schools have literally have gone astray? They, they're not schools anymore. They're theaters or indoctrination high schools, campuses. How do we get here, Jennifer? Well, that, that's a great question. And I think that, um, I think we, we got here because we forgot 
or or actually I shouldn't say we forgot. People hijacked education when they realized that influencing youth is a way to influence philosophy and our government and really all areas of life in the future. So it's a long play, right? And so people who were nefarious um, decided that that was a great long play to indoctrinate students and, and children so that in the end, they would have an ideology as adults that was the ideology that, that they wanted, right? They were manipulating the masses through education. And it, it removed, then, it, then education was um, not meant for human flourishing, but yet to indoctrinate the wow. masses. Wow, we sure did get uh, pretty far left. Um, so what do you believe um, this Turning Point Academy um, style of teaching uh, will do for the children, especially where we're at now as a nation? Sure. So let me let me unpack actually the type of schools that we're seeding around the country we call them 5C schools, and those 5Cs are Christian, conservative, classical, church-based, and cost-affordable. So let me unpack that a, a little bit. You know, we, we believe in that conservative ideology. We certainly believe in, in having all education rooted in God and that Christian um, faith. Classical is something that people might not be familiar with, but classical philosophy of education is the same philosophy of education that um, our our founders were educated with. This idea that um, that is founded on something called the trivium, and the trivium is an approach to students that understands how their brains develop, that when they're younger, they're great at absorbing facts, and that those facts are then the foundation of us speaking truthfully and without error. Um, it goes on to understanding that that brain in middle school is one that is right with um, argument and wanting to um, compare and contrast ideas and see kind of where um, what's spoken and what's seen is different. And, and that's why you get an argumentative team. And so we understand that and we, we teach to that. So we teach students how to reason well, how to um, compare and contrast ideas, how to debate. And, um, and we do that through um, a set of subjects that we teach them and how we teach them. And then when students are in high school, they are about self-expression. And so this trivium understands this growth and development of a student's brain. And then what classical education says is, okay, if that's how students learn, if that's how they're developing, then what subjects should we teach them at each stage? How should we approach 
those subjects? And how should we approach our students given where they are along that continuum? And so classical education is founded on, on that belief. And so there's a set of subjects and a way we approach the, the students that depends on where they are in the trivium. Awesome. So how did you, you were mostly uh, involved in, in developing this type of teaching. Um, What did you have to do to be able to put this elaborate uh, brainstorming in order to help these children? I mean, what did, what did you go through to, to put it together like this? Well, I cannot take credit at all for classical education. That was that was established long before uh, me. But what I um, I think the risk that I took um, was was in this hybrid model, this idea that students could come to school and really take advantage of the corporate learning environment because there's so much good that comes from students learning together and learning from a variety of of teachers who have an expertise in the the subject areas that they're they're learning. And especially in classical education, where when students grow into that logic stage or that junior high stage, when they are debating and discussing, and um, it's so important to bring students together who might think a little bit differently and ask them to uh, give a reason, a clear reason of why they believe what they believe. And so, so coming together corporately is so important. But this idea that, that we, there's good about that corporate learning environment, and so we should get together, but then also understanding that there's so much good that comes from um, being with our with our parents and our family. And so that hybrid approach to education is something that I, I would say we took a risk on, weren't the inventors of, but but took a risk on. And the the longer I'm at this, so we're going into our our 18th year at Classical Consortium Academy, um, I, I am a firm believer in this, Um, hybrid approach because students need time to really think through what it is they've learned. So to have dedicated teaching time, but then also have dedicated study time where they can read the robust works that we're asking them to read. So they have time to write their thoughts thoroughly Um, Because in a classical education, what we're putting forth is that students need to be reading great works of literature. They need to be writing um, diligently each day. And so those exercises take time and take time during the day, not squished between a full day of schoolwork and soccer practice. You know, that that isn't conducive for deep thinking and really transformational kind of education. Oh, I'd have to so, agree. <laughs> amen. Yeah, 100%. So what are some of the, uh, um, you've been doing it for 18 years now. What are some of the statistics of uh, of the students' progress? Um, 
and how they're developing it and how this is better than the school system? Right. That's a, that's a great question because we, we only want to do something that works, right? And, and so those metrics are important. What I would say is um, classical education is designed in order to transform little humans into virtuous and noble big humans. Amen. And, and so the purpose of education needs to be in alignment with our purpose as people, right? And our purpose as, as people is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? That's what the Bible tells us. And so we need an education that is in direct alignment with that. So then the question is, does it work? And so does it work in God's eyes? And what we have, the ACCS, so the Association of Classical Christian Schools, conducted a study with Notre Dame that said, is this kind of education, this classical education, actually transforming our students into these virtuous adults. And and so what they did is they studied students who were privately schooled, um, publicly schooled, and privately classically schooled, and and used a, a bunch of different metrics, but asked them kind of, are you hopeful? Are you thankful? Um, do you feel prepared in life? And what this good soil study, that's what it's called, the good soil study, found is that classically educated students were more thankful, more hopeful, felt better prepared for college and life, felt more successful, um, called themselves lifelong learners, were committed to Jesus Christ and their local church, were more courageous, you know, standing up to and against um, kind of common uh, philosophy or ideologies, and felt more independent-minded than students who were educated in other ways. And so I would say that's a, that's a win when it comes at looking at this from a, a God perspective, right? I believe that those are things that God would really value. Amen. But what Amen. is also true is that classically educated students are are scoring high from the from the world's standards, right? And and the world's standard is important for us to look at and consider because we want our kids to have a seat at the table, right? We want them influencing, uh, we want them going to colleges where they can influence what's going on. We want them going into careers where they have a seat at the table and they can influence lots of different um, uh, careers. And so what we see is that students who are classically educated consistently score higher in on the ACT and the SAT in all areas, English, math, reading, um, all of the, the, and science, all of the areas. And so that's wonderful too. So for both, um, they are superior. 
Amen. Hey, if you just tuned in, this is Freedom with Adam Riojas as our guest, Jennifer Burns from Turning Point USA, Turning Point Academy. And it's, it's, she's an amazing woman of God. And we're just going over how this type of education, uh, 5C model is superior to any other. Yes, and Jennifer, we had a question so our listeners can understand. I love, of course, the classical education uh, model, and but can you explain to our listeners in a couple of minutes what is classical education? I, I'm happy to. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. It is, um, it, as I said earlier, it's based on the trivium. So this idea that we understand how students' brains develop over time. And we use that understanding to um, teach them a set of subjects and teach them in a way that makes sense based on their development. To unpack that a little bit more, um, often you'll hear people talk about classical education as being the education of the true, good, and beautiful, which I, I love. And what I like to do is kind of attach those to the different levels that students go through in their education. So in their grammar or elementary years, it's about the truth piece. What we're trying to do there is focus on the facts so that that young people can learn how to speak without error and give them a common literacy to speak about the um, the common uh, literacy to speak without error, no matter what the subject is. So um, we focus on questions of who, what, where, and when for students. And um, we use tools such as chanting and songs and narration. So we students learn uh, or um, process information and then regurgitate that. And we use something called imitation and writing where students learn or read from the very best authors and learn to imitate that writing. And a teacher's role in that level in that grammar level is really a lecturer and coach. Then in the logic stage or junior high, when, when students are in middle school, it's about that goodness piece because students are trying to learn based on um, all of the different information they get, what is good and right. And so we can focus on questions of how and why, because their brain is developed in that way. We can talk about, we can debate and and focus on um, discursive reasoning. So we want them to reason from a point of facts and, and good evidence. So we use things like Socratic seminars and Socratic questioning to help our, to help students give birth to ideas. So we don't want to tell them what to think, but based on the facts that they know, where are they, um, we want them to come up with the, the results. Amen. And, and then in that, that high school stage, stage, it's focused on beauty. We can ask 
them to think about more esoteric ideas like good and evil and, and freedom and virtue. And, and we can talk about those higher order ideas because they have the facts already. They know how to debate and understand how to glean um, evidence. And now it's about that presentation of their ideas, both written and orally. I love it. Um, w- one other question real quick. How would you, dis- if you could, uh, describe classical education versus, say, a public education that's being brought out today in, in, our, in our society? Sure. So I think there are a number of different ways in which a classical education is um, different from a government education. And I would say that the first difference is really in that purpose. So a, a government school's purpose is really to produce producers and consumers, right? Mm-hmm. It's about educating students to go into a particular field of study. Why? So they can make money and they can buy stuff. You know, <laughs> it's, it's that cycle that feeds our happiness, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the purpose of education is. Well, in a classical school, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is in alignment with our purpose as humans, which is to glorify God. And so a classical Christian school will want to help their students understand who God is and and who um, how they were created and why they were created. So every subject is one where God is at the foundation. So science is a study of his creation. History is a study of his story. Math is a study of his order of things, right? It's a, education is this, this clo- understanding more of who God is, how he made the world, and then ultimately equipping us for whatever purpose he has in store for us. Amen. Amen. Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. And we are excited to be using this program at At The Cross Church as well. God bless you. Thank you for your time. And we'll be right back. God bless you. The Oceanside Pier is a sacred place, blessed with ocean views, the strand, good people, and good times. You'll find all those things and more at the Bistro at the Pier. Locally owned and operated, the Bistro at the Pier offers delicious food options and a full slate of crafted coffee drinks, including Italy's own Cafe Vergnano, sourced from Italy's finest coffee beans. So whether you're craving an acai bowl or an espresso, the Bistro at the Pier is waiting for you. Head on down or visit them online at bistroatthepier.org. Freedom Generation Higher Education is a faith-based alternative education option and official Turning Point USA Academy associate that values constitutional rights and medical freedom. Hosted by At The Cross Church in Oceanside, they serve pre-K through 7th grade and are Southern California's exclusive institution incorporating Turning Point USA Academy's 5C model. They offer in-person classes and electives Monday through Thursday and are now accepting applications for fall 2023. Visit them online at freedomgenerationedu.com or at the cross oceanside.com. Welcome to back to today's show with Freedom with Adam. 
Riojas. We just had an incredible guest, Jennifer Burns, who is the director of Academy and Turning Point uh, Faith USA. Um, we are we were so blessed to have this interview because we will not be incorporating this at the uh, school that we are now having at at the cross Oceanside. Well, thank you. So this latter part of the show is what we were we've all been waiting for, and I am excited to be able to come out of John chapter eleven, and we've heard this message. But when I saw this, I wanted to go into detail and bring it out the way where you and I could be blessed, where you and I could look at all the little details of this incredible story, uh, this miracle that has gone down in history as one of perhaps the greatest outside of Jesus rising from the dead. And without further ado, let's get into John chapter 11. Now, there was a man who was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, that anointing that Mary did wasn't until uh, after this event takes place where we can see in John chapter 11. But as we continue, we see that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were a family, two sisters and one brother. And now this man, Lazarus, is sick to the point of death. And as we continue in verse 3, it says this, Therefore his sister sent unto him, unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When John is saying him who thou lovest, he is insinuating that Jesus had this incredible relationship with these two sisters, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, because Jesus actually loved this family. As 4 says this, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Some have actually looked at this verse and says, wait a minute, Lazarus died. Was Jesus lying? Of course not. This act was going to show the glory of God. It was going to highlight whom Jesus was and what he is going to do for every believer. Now, as we continue to read, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, had a great relationship with them. Verse 6 says this, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in that same place where he was. At this point, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, if he loved them, why didn't he get up and immediately go out and heal this man? Because Jesus was literally about a day and a half 
away from where Lazarus was. That meant that by the time he got there, he was going to be dead anyways, as we continue in this story, and we'll see that. But Jesus did this so that he would be glorified, so that there would be no doubt that Jesus had done this great miracle. Now, in verse 8, it says his disciples, or verse 7, then after that, said he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and goest thou there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth, not because he seeth the light of this world, But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. He's given of a spiritual application. These things said he, and after that, he, or Jesus said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Now, His disciples are thinking, well, he's taking a nap. Okay, he's going to be okay then. But as we read 12, we see this. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep or if he's napping, he shall do well. Then he's okay, Lord. He's okay, Jesus. Howbeit, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. They somehow believed that Lazarus had recuperated from his sickness, and Jesus is letting them know that he's he's dead, that he's died. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Jesus, Lazarus is dead. How plain can that be? And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go on to him. So at this point, it is very clear that Lazarus had died. And, you know, the disciples were men just like you and I were human. And I am sure that in their mind, they're thinking, this guy loved Lazarus. How is it that he didn't immediately drop what he was doing and went to him? See, often enough, you and I do the same thing when we're asking God to answer our prayer, when we're asking God to heal someone immediately. We get into this mode where we believe that he no longer is answering us that Jesus has forsaken us, that he wants nothing to do with us. See, what happens when we look at Jesus like that, that we've mistakenly think that he's a genie in a bottle because Jesus is God and Jesus' timing is perfect. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13 The Bible is very clear that he will never leave us 
nor forsake us. I know some of you may be thinking or thinking, wait a minute. I've, I've often asked Jesus and I prayed fervently and somehow he didn't hear me. Somehow he wasn't listening to me, but he does. He knows your cry. He knows your pain. He knows your anguish. He knows what you're going through. And when he responds, he responds at the perfect time, at a time when you somehow cannot even imagine. See, God is never late, never late, even when it seems that he is because he works everything out for his glory and all things that happen God works them out for his glory, for your good. Remember the story of Joseph when his brothers sold him off. It wasn't for years until Joseph, after being sold off, ended, ended ending up in prison. And I can imagine the anguish that God answered him and set him free after serving a little over 13 years, being despised by his family. Can you imagine the anguish he must have felt? Yet, when God finally freed him and answered him, it was at the perfect time. He made him second in command. He saved Egypt, and he saved his family. God hears your prayer. And I'm asking right now for you not to give up because God will be there at the right and perfect time. Verse 16 says this. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus. Didymus means twins. So he had a twin brother unto his disciples. Let us also go that we may die with him. See, somehow their rationale had had taken them somewhere else. They were must have misunderstood him because he never said, let's go so that we can all die. Now, as we continue to read this story, then when Jesus came, he found he had lain in the grave four days already. Four days. Lazarus had now been dead for four days. You know, it's interesting when you see that passage because the Jews, the Israelites, believed that at that time that you weren't fully dead till the third day. And so Jesus went beyond that and on the fourth day, he is about to perform this miraculous miracle, this resurrection miracle. And when I look at this, I say, wow, God, your timing is perfect. You astounded the people of that day. And now it makes perfect sense as you're listening to this message why Jesus rose on the third day. Right when they thought somebody was fully dead, right when they believed that that was it, that life was over, 
Jesus rose. But as we read this story, we'll see what Jesus now does. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. I can only imagine the rumors that were that were spilling, that were being spewed out because Jesus didn't come to heal this man. He didn't show up until the fourth day. How dare him? He didn't show up for the morning. He didn't show up to memorize this man. He didn't show up to the wake. No, Jesus shows up at the perfect time. 20 says this, Then Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him, met him, but Mary was still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Listen, if you just tuned in, this is Freedom with Adam Riojas as we're going through John chapter 11 and witnessing and reading that Lazarus, whom Jesus loved, had now been dead four days. He knew four days prior to this when he was sick, yet Jesus didn't come at that time, didn't drop everything and come immediately. But we'll see why. But I know... Martha says this, that even now, whatsoever that will ask of God, God will give it to you. She said, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. I know he will. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, That's an interesting verse because most people believe that the last resurrection is that Jesus is coming. The resurrection is going to happen just like it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 17, when Jesus comes back with the believers, those that have died in Christ to receive their new body, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember, it's at a it's at the twinkle of an eye, not the not at a blinking of an eye, but at the twinkle of an eye. That is the sun hitting your eye at 185,000 miles per second. It won't be if some of you have watched some of these left behind series movies, um, those that are left behind and you see people floating up, it's going to be instant. It's going to be miraculous. But that's the resurrection. He brings back the saints with him. Then those of us which are alive shall be caught up. The word is harpazo in Greek. The word was then translated first into the Latin rapturo, where we get our word rapture, but it's caught up. It means violently snatched up. 
That's the resurrection. The, those that have died in Christ since he ascended or into heaven itself, he brings back those believers from the grave. And you're like, wait a minute, how is he bringing them back then? What he's bringing back is who the person is. What rises from the ground at the resurrection is the body. You're like, wait a minute. Usually when someone dies, it turns into dust and all the bugs eat them. And, and, and then some are mummified and, and some, are, some of the ashes are scattered in the ocean. How, what are you saying? God is going to use every molecular cell that he you had in your body and is going to bring it back together miraculous instantly at a twinkle of an eye and then they will receive a brand new body those have as those that have died and then we which are alive will be transformed immediately you're like wow really Of course, that's what the Bible teaches. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And let me tell you something. This resurrection is soon. This harpazo, this rapturo, this getting caught up is upon us. You see the world in chaos. You see the world trying to form a one world government. You see governments that are corrupt to the core. You see nations falling. You see the rise of socialism. You see these nefarious viruses that they have released that were created in labs. Just like Jesus said in the end days, it would be all of this stuff happening. We're getting close, church. But Martha responds, I know he'll rise at the resurrection. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. Do you know how powerful that is? He says, I am the life giver. I am the same one that breathed into Adam's nostrils. I am the same one that formed Eve out of that rib. I am the one that gives breath to those that are dead. He is the resurrection. And that's powerful when he says, I am the resurrection. Now, this is now the great assertion of faith when Jesus says, I am. And he is the son of the living God. That is the same response that Moses got when he said, who should I said sent me? I am. Here you see, I am the resurrection. Powerful. This is now the fifth time that the I am is used in Scripture in the book of John. See, John is this phenomenal man that that literally pointed to Jesus and whom he truly was, God and man at the same time. You know that. John points to him as God. Matthew looks at him, yet he still says he's God, but his focus is on him being the king. 
Mark looks at him as a servant. Luke points him out as a man. And then John points at him as being God Almighty. Woo! Man, when you know Jesus, you know God. And whosoever believeth and believeth in me shall never die. Only God could say that. Believest thou this? She said unto him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her, seek, Mary her sister secretly, saying, the Master is come and calleth for you. She was so excited that she literally now is, had to fib a little bit. Because Jesus, we don't see that in Scripture. We see that she is excited and, and and goes and gets her sister and says, The Master is here. He calleth you. He's calleth you. Jesus said unto him, She said unto him, Yeah, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of Christ. Isn't that powerful? Now, verse 29 says this, As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now, Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. And that was the normal thing to do. She just lost her brother. She's probably just going to go weep. She's going to lose it. Let's follow her. Verse 32 says, Then when Mary was come down, Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, if you were here, my brother had not died. If you had been here, Jesus, my brother had not died. She's saying, you can do all things. I know you would have healed him. And I know that you could have healed him. Kind of almost like blaming him a little bit. Why weren't you here when we sent people to go get you? We know that you love him. You you know that we know that we have a good relationship with you. Why weren't you here? He wouldn't have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Now, 35, verse 35 is the short, shortest verse in Scripture. You want to memorize the Scripture today? John 10, 35. Easy. Jesus wept. That's your beginning. The Bible says this when King David said, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalms 119.9. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if that's all you remember, that remember that Jesus weeps for those whom he loves. When he sees them broken or destitute, and even when they die, then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. You know, I believed when Jesus wept, it was 
He was weeping for those that did not believe the power that he had to do what he was about to do. Remember, he said, I am the resurrection. I'm God. I can resurrect him. Then some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Couldn't he have? Now they're, they're literally almost throwing stones. Now they're like blaming him. But these folks are no different than you and I. When things happen, we often blame God for things that go wrong in our life. See, we live in a fallen world. And what Jesus came to do is to give us hope. To say, look, I've redeemed you. I created you. You sin, but I've come back to redeem you. Jesus showed up at the right time in history. The perfect timing to call you and I to him, to himself. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. You know, this is only within a week of Jesus' crucifixion. There is no doubt at this point that Jesus could see ahead in the future and saw this grave and knew that he would soon be laying like this man was. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of him that was dead said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He smells, Lord. Have respect for the dead. He stinks. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto, Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe Thou shouldest see the glory of God. Are you ready to hear and see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you hear me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Do you know what I believe? I believe that he called him by name because had Jesus said, come forth, every dead person at that point would have jumped up and said, you call the dead out. You said, come out. Here I am. Remember, he's God. Lazarus, he was specific. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with Grave clothes and his face was bound with a napkin. Now it's interesting that it says a napkin because when Jesus rose, the napkin was left on the grave. Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Do you want to believe in him now? He is the resurrection. We are living in chaos. Today your hope can begin. And if you straight away, today is the day to get right with God. To get right with God. He loves you. It's simple. Jesus, restore me. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, come into my heart and help me. Jesus loves you and wants to honor your prayer today. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Freedom with Adam Riojas. 
If you'd like to contact Adam, email him at freedom at adamriojas.com. Make sure to tune in next week at 5 p.m. here on K-Praise. If you missed a show, go to your favorite podcast provider and search Freedom with Adam Riojas. The Oceanside Pier is a sacred place, blessed with ocean views, the strand, good people, and good times. You'll find all those things and more at the Bistro at the Pier. Locally owned and operated, the Bistro at the Pier offers delicious food options and a full slate of crafted coffee drinks, including Italy's own Cafe Vergnano, sourced from Italy's finest coffee beans. So whether you're craving an acai bowl or an espresso, the Bistro at the Pier is waiting for you. Head on down or visit them online at bistroatthepier.org. Freedom Generation Higher Education is a faith-based alternative education option and official Turning Point USA Academy associate that values constitutional rights and medical freedom. Hosted by At The Cross Church in Oceanside, they serve pre-K through 7th grade and are Southern California's exclusive institution incorporating Turning Point USA Academy's 5C model. They offer in-person classes and electives Monday through Thursday and are now accepting applications for fall 2023. Visit them online at freedomgenerationedu.com or at the cross oceanside.com. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 